Selective hearing. It can be a bit annoying, can't it, you know? The kids are playing Lego and you tell them it's time to pack up and they just don't hear. You might as well have not spoken. Or someone's watching TV and you call them for dinner and they just keep watching TV. Now, apparently, selective hearing is a real thing. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to hear a conversation in a crowded room. You know, there can be 20 people talking, but you can focus in on one person and hear what they're saying. The brain has this ability to focus out of everything else and focus in on one thing. Now, according to the Journal of Neurophysiology, selective hearing is real. It's called the cocktail party effect. Even though all the sounds make it through your ear and into the brain, the brain filters out what it thinks is the most important. Okay? So when you're watching TV, your brain probably thinks that's the most important thing. When you're playing Lego, your brain probably thinks that's the most important thing. Selective hearing. I wonder whether we can sometimes have a case of selective hearing when it comes to listening to God. We only hear what we want to hear. See, it's possible to read the Bible and come to church and, and think we're paying attention to God, but in reality, we're just paying attention to the bits that we like to hear and we're ignoring the bits that we don't like, which means the Bible's just affirming everything we think and we're not being challenged That is very dangerous. That's what's happening today in the passage with Saul in 1 Samuel 28, which we just had read. You might have even um, noticed as it was being read that Saul looks like he's trying to listen to God. You know, it says Saul went and inquired of God, but he's not. He's got selective hearing. He doesn't want to listen to what God has already told him, and so he's looking for a new word from God. Well, we're going to say this morning that you don't get away with ignoring God when he speaks to you. Let's pick it up in 1 Samuel 28, verse 3. So you might have noticed verse 1 and 2 was just sort of the um, end of last week's passage um, with David and Achish. So verse 3 is really the start of today. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his hometown own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. Now Samuel is dead, but we were already told that three chapters ago. He died back in chapter 25. Why are we told again? Well, it's because this is important. Samuel was how God spoke to Israel. Samuel was God's mouthpiece. Samuel was God's prophet. So now that Samuel is dead... How will God speak? How will Saul listen to God? In fact, in this chapter, Saul gets so desperate to hear God speak that he's going to try and raise Samuel back from the dead to get a word from God. But that's coming. Just hold off. I know it's exciting. We'll get there. We're also told that Saul had removed all the mediums from Israel. Now, that's a good thing. Medium, that word, it's a necromancer. It's someone like a witch doctor, someone who tries to contact the spirits of dead people, someone who tries to channel a message from dead people. Okay, That kind of thing was forbidden. 
In Deuteronomy 18, don't look it up, but in Deuteronomy 18.10, it couldn't be clearer. Let no one be found among you who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, casts spells, or his, who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Okay, very clear. But Samuel's dead, and there's no mediums around because Saul's got rid of them all. And Saul here is in a very desperate situation. We find that out in verse 4. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all the Israelites and set up camp at Gilboa. Now, this is the biggest battle. This is the end battle of the whole book. In fact, Saul's going to end up dead in this battle. This is the Philistines amassing all their army to take on Israel. And verse 5. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. Okay, so the massive army amassing. Remember from last week, um, Saul doesn't have David by his side. David's actually over fighting for the enemy at this time too. Saul is worried. So in verse 6, we're told that Saul asks God what to do, but God doesn't answer. Verse 6. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim. That's sort of another word for the thing on the ephod, which David has been inquiring the Lord of, or prophets. Now, does that sound a bit weird? Why doesn't God answer Saul? Well, we could make some guesses at this point, but we're going to find out why very soon. So let's hold off onto that thought and see uh, we're going to be told why God doesn't answer Saul here. Here's where things start to get really weird. Because when God doesn't answer Saul, Saul goes off to find a medium. Saul goes to a seance to try and somehow channel uh, some guidance from the dead Samuel um, so that he can get some guidance from God. Verse 7. Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium so that I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes. And at night, he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. Down in verse 11. Then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. So this woman goes about her evil business of trying to um, bring a message from the dead Samuel. Here's where things get really interesting because Samuel actually appears. And it doesn't seem to be some kind of a vision. This is really Samuel. That's why down in verse 15, Samuel says to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? It might sound a bit strange, but apparently it is possible. But it's not because this woman has any strange powers. No, she's actually quite surprised that Samuel appears. So it sounds like when she normally consults the dead, it's a bit of hocus pocus. It's a bit of uh, maybe she puts some smoke around. Maybe she makes some stuff up. Maybe she pretends there's a message we don't know. But this time it is for real. And when this witch doctor sees Samuel, she is scared out of her wits. She screams. It's the last thing she's expecting. Verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice. 
And she said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And then Saul tries to calm her down. Verse 13, the king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a spirit coming up out of the ground. 14, what does he look like? Saul asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. So here we are in this bizarre situation where Samuel has come back from the dead to deliver a message from God to Saul. Let's see what the message is. Verse 15. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I'm in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me and God has turned away from me. He no longer answers me either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. That's kind of true, isn't it? God isn't speaking to Saul anymore. But there's a reason why. And we find out in the very next sentence. It's because God has already spoken to Saul. God has already told Saul everything Saul needs to hear. It's just that Saul wouldn't listen. Verse 16. Samuel said, Why do you consult me now that the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbours, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will hand over both Israel and you to the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. That is, you know, in the grave. The Lord will also hand over the army of Israel to the Philistines, which happens in the last chapter of 1 Samuel. So here's the thing. God's already spoken to Saul. God has already told Saul what he wants to say to Saul. But Saul had selective hearing. Saul didn't like what God had to say to him. And so he's ignoring it like he has been through the whole book. And he's desperately looking elsewhere now for a different word from God. He's looking in dreams. He's looking in prophets. He's gone to a spiritualist. Saul wants God to say something different. But Samuel appears and he says, God's already spoken. And what he said is coming true and nothing you can do can change it. In fact, there's nothing new here in what Samuel says. This is exactly what God said in chapter 15. It's almost just a repeat of what God has previously said to Saul word for word. Listen as I read from 1 Samuel 15. Don't look it up, but just listen and notice how uh, similar it is to what Saul's just been told here. 1 Samuel 15. God said to Saul, You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbours, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind. It could not be clearer. God has spoken. He's not changing his mind. The the problem is not that God's not speaking. The problem is that Saul doesn't like what God had to say. 
And so Saul tries to ignore God, and that's what he's been doing in the last few chapters, hasn't he? He's trying to hold on to his kingship. He's trying to kill David, who's been anointed the next king. He is doing the exact opposite of everything God has said. Can you see how stupid that is? It is stupid on so many levels. It's stupid because God's word is powerful. What God says happens. You can't go up against it. To set yourself up against God is to set yourself up for disaster. But it's also stupid because God has the right to tell us what to do. He's the one who made us. He's the one who owns us. If we don't obey God, he will judge us. And that's what verse 19 is about. The Lord will hand both Israel and you to the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. So you can't escape God's judgment by running away from him and ignoring him and pretending he doesn't exist. Now we're going to see that played out over the next few weeks as Saul does receive the judgment of God. But for this morning, the lesson is pretty clear, isn't it? When God speaks, we need to listen. And God has spoken to us. By his word, through Jesus and through the Bible, God speaks into this dark world. He speaks light and he shows us the way back to him. And by his word, God speaks and he promises forgiveness to us. He promises forgiveness to those who will put their trust in Jesus. And God speaks and he invites us into a relationship with him. And then God speaks and he invites us to live his way in obedience to him. Are you listening? Are you listening to what God so clearly tells us? Or do you have selective, his, selective hearing? Are you embracing God's word in all its fullness and giving yourself to obey him? Or do you have... Selective hearing, like Saul, where you tune out to the bits of God's word that you don't like to hear. So anyone can listen to what they want to hear, can't they? And some of the parts of the Bible are exactly in line with what we want to hear. And those bits are easy to obey. But there's other parts of the Bible that are hard to hear. How do you go with those things? What do you do when you find something in the Bible that is different to what you agree with? Do you wrestle with it so that you can change and put yourself under God's word? Or do you wrestle with it so that you can wrestle your way out from under it so that you can come up with an excuse why it doesn't apply to you? Maybe here's a good test. In all honesty... When was the last time that you changed something in your life because of what you read in God's word? I mean real change. Because we're all broken. We're all messed up and we all have this bent for going the wrong way. There is so much in our life that needs to be changed by God's word. So if you are reading God's word and you're not being challenged by it, I mean really challenged, maybe you've got selective hearing. 
Maybe you're just ignoring the bits that you don't want to hear. Or maybe you hear them and think, yeah, I'll change that, and then you go away and forget about it. That's dangerous. That's what the Apostle Paul warns us about in that passage that Al read at the start of the meeting. Open up with me to 2 Timothy 4. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, talking about this very issue. Al read read a a nice big bit of it, but let's just read verse 2. This is Paul talking to Timothy, and he says to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Okay, that is what God has spoken. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Did you notice how it starts there? Be prepared in season and out of season. In other words, when it's popular and when it's not popular. When the Bible tells us what we want to hear and when it tells us what we don't want to hear. When society agrees with the Bible and when society opposes what the Bible says. When it's in fashion, when it's out of fashion. Be prepared in season and out of season. And then Paul goes on. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. See, the Bible is there to correct us. And there are going to be parts of the Bible that we disagree with. And it's not a matter of us correcting the Bible. It is a matter of us being corrected by God's word. And not just corrected, rebuked. Because there will be times when we are doing completely the wrong thing and the Bible will pull us up and it will turn us around. And also encourage because there are times when we're just tired and we need the comfort of God. But don't be selective in your hearing. You can't take the encouraging bits but ignore the corrections and the rebukes. Although that is what some people will do. Verse 3. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. See, that's selective hearing. It is easy to find someone who will tell us what we want to hear. You finding it hard to be generous? There are plenty of preachers out there on the internet telling you that God wants you to be rich. God wants to bless you financially. Are you finding marriage hard? There are plenty of books out there that will try and justify and tell you that divorce is okay. You feeling discontent? You don't have to go far to find someone who will tell you it's not your fault. You deserve more. You have the right to be discontent about this. Do you lose your temper with your wife or your husband or your children? Do you yell at them? Do you hit them? Sadly, you can even find people who will make excuses for that and tell you it is okay. 
they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That is selective hearing. But it's not always that um, obvious, is it? It's not just a straight-out rejection of what God says. It can be a bit more subtle. You know, it can be, do, it can be to do with our priorities. So we come to the Bible with our agenda of the things that we have already decided are important. And we can be so easily shaped by our society, can't we? What does the average Aussie think is important? Your level of education, your income, your job, owning a house. I could go on. And so, even as Christians, when it comes to decisions about those things, where we live, what job we have, where to study, we somehow assume that they are the big decisions. And then we have a guidance crisis and we blame God because we want God to give some kind of direct word to us as to where we should study or what town we should live in or whether we should take this job or not. And when the Bible doesn't tell us, we start looking elsewhere. You know, we start praying for a sign. We start looking everywhere for a sign. But could it be that God has already spoken to us? Could it be that God has already told us what matters and what's important and the things that we think are important are not actually as important as we thought they were? See, when you read the Bible and you let it set the agenda, what does God's word tell us is important? What really matters? Our relationship with God. How we treat other people. That you're growing more like Jesus. And look, you can do that whether you're renting a place or whether you're buying a place. Who cares? If God wanted us to rent or buy, he would have told us in his word. What's important is that you are encouraging the people around you to follow Jesus. And you can do that wherever you live. In fact, you might even decide to change where you live based on being able to better encourage people. That would be to flip things, wouldn't it? What is important is not not what job we have, but according to the Bible, what is important is that we work and that we're not lazy And that when we work, whether it's paid or not, whatever it is, that we work as to the Lord in everything. Friends, when we let the word of God shape us, it completely changes us. It turns our priorities upside down. It even changes the way that we make decisions. This was an uncomfortable talk to have uh, floating around in my head this week. The number of times where... Some little thing came up, like the speedo's going a bit higher on the, on the car than it should, and I just think, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God has spoken about these things. Submit to the authorities. You can't say it doesn't matter when God has spoken. That is selective hearing. We need to do better than that. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, please don't take this all the wrong way. I'm not saying, this passage is not saying that in order to be right with God, in order for God to love you, you have to somehow obey him and be a good person. No. What this is saying, if anything, is if you don't yet know God and you want to know him, 
you need to listen to him. Read the Bible. Pick up one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, and see what he says about himself. See that God is inviting you to come to him and be forgiven, but don't go making up your own ideas about what you think God is like. Don't go looking elsewhere for some spirituality when God has spoken clearly through Jesus. So whether you're not yet a Christian or whether you're just starting out as a new Christian or whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, the challenge is the same this morning. Have you got a case of selective hearing? Like Saul, are you just hearing what you want to hear? God has spoken to us clearly and he wants us to listen. Let's make sure we don't ignore what he says. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is good, that it's like a light to our path, that it's sweeter than honey, that it brings light and life. Father, thank you that your word is the best way to live. Thank you that we can trust everything that you say. And so, Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would change us. You would soften us that our hearts might be shaped by your word. And, Father, help us not to be like people who hear the word and then forget it. Help us to be people who put it into practice and live it out. And, Father, thank you for this great encouragement this morning. Amen.